Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's already been a rich morning. Um, like I said a little earlier, uh, my name is Joe Polino, and I serve as lead pastor here. If you're new with us, welcome. Uh, definitely an abnormal Sunday, um, but a special one nonetheless. And so I hope you feel like... Uh, I hope you feel like you're invited into a family living room right now, because that's how we were praying ahead of time, that you would feel like the family of God in this house. So I just want to say you are welcome here. Um, today feels like a significant day for our church. Uh, we just commissioned our new overseer team, uh, which is awesome. Uh, tonight is actually the first uh, class of our new Antioch Discipleship School uh, class. So we have 10 students signed up this year. Uh, we're actually, uh, and then we also have our Pure Desire ministry uh, uh, that's starting up as well. And so there's a lot of re-engagement that's happening in our church and it feels very significant. Today we're also starting uh, a new practice called Love One Another. It's gonna be six weeks that we're gonna go through on Sunday and on Life Group, and we'll have a devotional guide to go with that. And so we have been going through the book of Ephesians uh, throughout this year. So from February up till now, we've been going through this letter of Ephesians. And one of the things that we wanna do is not just be hearers of the word, but we wanna put it into practice. And so we just uh, read last week, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, which says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And so we're going to have six weeks to slow down and actually practice loving one another. So I'm excited to talk more about that. But today's also significant uh, for a more personal reason uh, for me and for others in the room. Uh, and that's that today uh, is the one-year mark from when uh, our beloved church member, brother, uh, John Charks, passed away from cancer last year. And so last year on September 10th, uh, John uh, went to be with the Lord. And uh, it just was not lost on me that we're starting this Love One Another series uh, on the same day that marks a year of John's life. Because if you didn't know John, John was one of a kind, uh, and John was a gift to our church. And actually, his full name was Jonathan, which means gift of God. And uh, so John was a part of our church for eight years. He came to know Jesus at our church. He met his wife at our church. He dedicated uh, his wife, Melissa. Uh, he dedicated his son, Jackson, here. He led here. And so he was just such a dear part of our church. And so uh, I reached out to, um, to John's mom, Bernie, and Melissa, and just said, hey, I would love to honor John in the service. Would that be okay? And they both said that would be wonderful. And so in honor of John today, I'm going to take a detour from Ephesians, and I'm going to go to John's favorite book, which is 1 John, because it's all about loving one another out of the love that we have received from God. And so today, we're going to go into 1 John, and it's going to be 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And so if you want to get out your Bibles, turn to 1 John. Just go to the very back of the Bible. You'll find the last book is Revelation. And then get a few books before that, a few letters before that, and you'll be in 1 John. So 1 John 4, it'll also be up on the screen. And here are 
six verses that are rich in talking about God's love for us and in our love for one another, what that's supposed to look like. And so if you're taking notes or want to track along with where I'm going, here's the roadmap for what we're going to do in our next 20 minutes or so. Every person can experience the transforming love of God as we behold the source of love, the show of love, and the side of love. So every person, you, me, we can all be transformed by the love of God as we behold the source of love, the show of love, and the side of love. You guys with me? Okay, so let's dig into God's word. First John chapter four, beginning in verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so, Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for my uh, friend, John Charks, and just, the, uh, just honoring him and remembering his life. Lord, I pray, God, that we would receive a deposit of your love today that would be from you, and uh, it we would leave changed. We would leave lighter. Burdens would be lifted. God, and your love would be so clear to us through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so number one, we want to be transformed by God's love as we behold the source of love. So that's point number one, the source of love. So let's see where we find that in verse seven and eight. Let's read it again. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So what does this mean? Well, it says we should love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. God is the source of love. So much to the point that he says, if you love, then you know God. And if you don't love, then you don't know God because God himself is love. So God is the source of love. So you might be asking the question then, as I did, does this mean that people who do not believe in God, who don't follow Jesus, are incapable of love. And I don't think that is what this is saying. I think that they are, but what, what this is saying is that there is a type of love that flows from God as the source that is different from the way the world loves. There is a type of love that is different, that is distinct. When we are born of God because we believe in Jesus, God's indwelling Holy Spirit produces a love that comes from Him, not from us. Okay, so that's what it's saying. So what does this love look like then? What does this type of love look like if God is the source? Well, uh, the same word that is used for love is used six times in these two verses, and it is the word agape, agape love. We talked about this last Sunday. I'll go over it again. But agape love is a self-giving and sacrificial love which proactively seeks the good of the other person regardless of how they respond. 
That is like the, that is the highest form of love. That is the way that God loves us. And there's other forms. Um, yeah, so uh, honey, can you give me my Trader Joe's bag? I did this illustration last week, but if you missed it, my name is Joe. I like Trader Joe's. In this bag are things that I love, okay? So I'm going to pull out some things that I love. I love the game of baseball. Grew up playing baseball. I like watching baseball. I love baseball. I love Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups. They were half full last Sunday. They are out. It's a problem. Uh, I'm not the only one that loves dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Uh, I think it got a lar larger shout out than we were like, Jesus. It was like, peanut butter cups, you know. So we might need to work on that, but you know. I also love, let's not knock over stuff, Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys. This is the year. I can feel it. This is the year. Let's go. Okay. So I love the Cowboys. I also love my Baylor Bears. This is not the year. This is not the year, but I still love them. And last but not least, a picture of my wife. I love my wife, Amy. I love you, honey. So I did this last service in our family service with, with kids, and, I, and someone told me later that they overheard someone say, there's a picture of his wife with a bag of that stuff in it. And uh, as if to say, like, wow, I feel sorry for your wife. Um, but other people are like, whoa, he loves his wife a lot, like cowboys and dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Like, that's a, that's a lot of love right there. But in our language, when we say we love something, we can say that we love baseball or love a sports team or love this or that. And then we use the same word when we describe a love for a husband and wife or a father and a son. And there's not that distinction of the different types of love unless we just kind of understand the context. Well, in the original Greek, in the ancient Greek language, there were four different types. There were mainly four different types of, of Greek words that describe love. So I have them up here on the screen. One of them is eros, which is the type of uh, romantic love or a sexual attraction type love, eros. There's a storge, which means like a natural affinity or affection for something. Then there's philia, uh, which is friendship. Or you think about Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There's philia. And those are all good and right forms of love but the way that God describes himself as loving us and loving Jesus and the love that is in the scripture that we are here is agape love. It is the active sacrificial love. And so when I say, uh, if you're not a believer or you don't know God, does that mean that you're not incapable of love? No, not at all. But what it does mean, I want to keep my water. What that does mean is that this self-giving this sacrificial, proactive love is from God. And it's coming towards us whether we receive it or not. God is the source of love. And so if you were to reread the verses we just read in verse 7 and 8, it would read like this. Dear agape, because the dear friends is actually beloved. Dear agape, let us agape one another. For agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape does not know God, because God is agape love. 
So why does this matter? You and I cannot produce agape love for one another on our own power. We first have to be loved by God in this way for us to love in that way. So what do we do about that? On the one hand, this is kind of freeing, and then it can also be a little confusing. It can be freeing because I'm not asked to an impossible standard of agape love that I can't do because God has to produce that in me. Galatians 5.22 says, as we walk by the Spirit, it says that God puts in us his Holy Spirit. And as we walk with him, he produces a fruit that we can't produce on our own. And that fruit looks like agape love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's not just being nice. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit through his church. So that's freeing but can also be a little confusing because it's like, okay, if I can't do this, how do I get connected to the source? In other words, you know, where's the faucet for me to turn on this agape love when I'm not feeling it, when I don't know what to do, when I don't, how do I connect with this source of love? And that's where point number two comes in is we need to look at God's love shown for us in Jesus to experience the transforming love. So that's point two. Every person can experience the transforming love of God as we behold the show of love. So let's keep reading. In verse nine, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'm just going to say that last verse again. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man, show me, don't tell me, right? Actions speak louder than words. God is love is not a merely abstract philosophical statement. He is saying that I have shown you what my love is like as I have sent my son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Man, so you might be like, okay, I've heard this before. Help me understand this a little bit more. Well, man, in my, in my growing up, I grew up around the Christian story, I would say that I was a Christian, but I came so familiar with this that it did not resonate with me because this is only meaningful if we realize how desperate our situation is and how high the cost of sin is, right? So God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins as an atoning sacrifice. Okay, so if I view my, well, let's just put it this way. If you were swimming in a pool and a lifeguard threw a lifesaver at your head head, and then jumped in the pool and put you in a headlock and dragged you to the side of the pool when you did not need to be rescued, would you be thankful? No, frankly, you'd be offended and a little bit like, what in the world's going on? I'm fine. I can swim. I'm good. I can get to the side. So the lifesaver... And the lifeguard jumping in to save you doesn't mean much if you don't need a rescue. 
But imagine if you were thrown overboard at sea in waves and you, there was no way for you to get to any safety because you were in an ocean. But then you saw a lifeguard come and throw you that lifesaver and jump in the water with you to pull you to safety. Would you be thankful? Yeah, you'd, I'd grab onto that lifesaver so tight. I would never forget that person. I would never forget that moment because I was desperate. There was no way for me to rescue myself. There's no way. So my question for you is, is your sin more like a swimming pool or like an ocean? Is my sin more like a swimming pool or an ocean that God came for us to be rescued from? The more that we realize how much we've been forgiven, the more we worship. Worship is, we do worship through singing. We do worship through giving thanks. Those are disciplines of worship. But there's also worship that just kind of happens spontaneously whenever we we like understand the gift we've been given, you know? The more we understand what we're forgiven of, the more this grows, okay? He showed us his love among us. And so there's a graphic here I've shown before. It's helped me a lot. I want to share it again. Uh, this graphic has on the top end of the line is a, uh, is a line that says your need. And then the bottom line represents God's grace, and so if you don't think that you really need God's help, God's grace is going to be a very low value to you. But the more that you live life, the more that there's this understanding of, I don't have it all figured out. I'm actually searching for something I don't know. I, I, I can't fill myself. There's a hole inside. Then you realize that there's actually sin inside you. There's shame. There's things that you're doing that are hurting people. You need more and more. You're recognizing, I need answers. I need help. I need a savior. And at that point where God's grace becomes more appealing and your need, uh, you, you become less confident and you being able to handle yourself, that intersection is a decision point of surrendering your life to Jesus. It's a beautiful moment where he comes in and he says, you are forgiven. You are a child of God and we receive the grace of God. It's amazing, but it doesn't stop there because the more that you live, the more you realize, oh, wow, my need is actually greater than I ever knew. And I'm a Christian now. I'm a saint, but I still sin. I still am growing and becoming more like Jesus. And the more that you sin though, the more grace abounds the more you realize how much he saved you in the cross, which was small and beginning, is bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and worship gets more and more and more and it increases. It's amazing. So when we say we want to look at the love of God to be transformed by it, he is the source of agape love and he shows us agape love on the cross and this gift keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. Amen? Amen. Man. Praise God. Ephesians 3.8, I love this, that Paul says that he's been given the task to preach the unsearchable riches to the Gentiles, to the world, and that there are unsearchable riches in what we've received in the gospel, but even more importantly, in knowing Jesus. So the more that we understand what we've been forgiven helps us to know how much God loves us and how much he has done for us. 
but you still might be asking the question, okay, so God sent Jesus so that I might live through him, it says, to be in relationship with Jesus, but God is invisible. I still have trouble connecting with him as I'm going about my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever. How do I do that? And this is the last point, the sight of love. Point three, the sight of love. It says in verse 11 and 12, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. Wow. So we can't see Jesus yet. When we look at Jesus in the scriptures, we see God. One day we will see him face to face, but right now we don't have a visible, uh, we can't see him with, with, with our physical eyes. So what this is saying though, is that as we love one another and God lives in us, his love is actually made complete. So God sets the standard of love, of agape love. It's an impossible bar by ourselves, but with God, this transformational love works in us and through us and brings people to belong to his family. And so that's what we're called to do. As we love one another, we can actually see God's love. This was my story. I shared it before, but when I was in college and in a point of, God, if you're real, show me, I did not actually expect God to answer that prayer, but it was a sincere prayer. The way God answered that prayer was not through uh, you know, a vision or a dream. It was through a person, a person named Adam who invited me to his uh, barbecue. Praise God for barbecue, because I like barbecue. And that gave me a window into uh, his life group. And then through that life group, I met Joshua, and I met Kendall, and I met Lacey, and I met, uh, I met Shelly, and all these different people in that life group who I was very different than, would never have been friends with otherwise, but they love me like Christ loves me. And it, it showed me, wow, God, you're real. You answered my prayer because I could see it. I could feel it inside me. And so how are we going to grow in this if we're going to do a six-week practice? What are we going to do about it? Well, on Sundays and in life groups and in our personal lives, we're going to put into practice loving one another. So we have just gone through Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, there is a list of uh, ways that we can love one another. And over the next five weeks, we're going to hit on one each Sunday. We're going to talk about it in life group. And then we're going to have a devotional guide that'll be a five week, just reading the scripture and praying, God, would you help me to walk in love? So that'll be starting next Sunday. But just to close today, again, just to honor uh, the life of John Charks. Um, uh, there's a picture of him up here. I, I can see it. Uh, when I mentioned John, he's one of the best examples I've ever had of loving one another uh, that I've ever known. Uh, this bracelet that I wear here, wear here says Chark Strong. And we got bracelets as we as a church were contending in prayer and fasting and praying for his healing from cancer. And he was not healed from cancer in the way that we had hoped. But I still wear this bracelet to remind me of his story. And John, he, didn't, he, he grew up in a loving home, but he did not know Jesus. And I first met him. He was invited to uh, church by a coworker of his named Ian. And Ian was a sports writer, and John was a writer too. 
John loved writing about basketball. And he recognized there was something in Ian's life that was attracted to him, attractive to him. And so Ian invited him to church. So the first time I met John, he had filled out a little next steps card that said, hey, I'm interested in knowing more about a relationship with Jesus. So I texted him and didn't know him at all and met him at Chipotle off 75 in Knox. And as we sat down to eat, before I could take a bite out of my burrito, he said, hey, so I'm, I'm ready to do this whole Christianity thing. I just don't know what the Old Testament, New Testament's about, but I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go. I was like, all right, this is going to be a unique lunch, to say the least. So I said, back up. Tell me a little bit more about what, what, what you're, how, we, how you got to that point. And he began just to describe that uh, he had just come to a point in his life of feeling empty of meaning. Uh, there was uh, a dark time in his life, but through Ian's life, Ian's, uh, his coworker, and through praying, he has just become convinced that he doesn't have all the answers, but he knows that Jesus is the way. And so he's ready, he's ready to go. Uh, I was stunned. I've never had a lunch like this. I uh, haven't had a lunch like that since, although I hope there's more to come. But I, so I shared the gospel with him, and right there over our untouched burrito bowls, he gave his life to Jesus. And I asked him how he felt afterwards, and he said, peaceful. But he was like, there was no, nothing flashy about it other than that. So I said, okay, John, we, I have life group tomorrow. It's a small group that meets at someone's house. There's going to be snacks. We're going to read the Bible, sing a few songs, and talk about our life. We'd love for you to come. And he was like, oh, there's a Maverick game. I'm not sure if I can make it. But, and then I said, okay, well, hope you can make it. And then the next thing is I would love to read the Gospel of John for us to talk about it. And so we left that lunch and I was like 50-50 shot. I'm never going to see this guy again. Like he just was such a wild card. I did not know. And I received an email from him the next day. And he said, hey, I've gone through 15 chapters of John. I have some questions. Uh, I, I, th I think I'll be able to make that life group thing tonight. And so he showed up late to life group, uh, kind of halfway through almost. And there was a one life group. We did not have snacks laid out, of course. And so he said, where's the snacks? You said there would be snacks. And so sweet Meredith Tapey, because we were at the Tapey's house, scrambled in their cupboard and I think made popcorn. And so John sat through it. And really, none of us knew what would happen with John after that. But um, John explains it better than I could. So just to close, I wanted to read an article that he wrote he worked for a website called The Ringer, where he gave NBA analysis. But The Ringer uh, published a work of his called Do You Know My Son that talks about fatherhood, faith, and his fight with cancer. This is what he said about that first experience in Life Group. John said, I was nervous the first time I went to Life Group. I joined a church the week before one of the pastors, a guy a few years older than me, invited me. It was a smaller group of people who met at his house every week. I remember walking up to the door and not knowing what to expect on the other side. There were about a dozen people in the living room talking to each other. I didn't know any of them besides the pastor, and I barely knew him. I didn't know what to do, so I did what most people do. I headed over to the table with snacks. Eventually, the chatter died down, and everyone sat in a circle in the living room. They all introduced themselves with an icebreaker, something about their favorite TV show or their favorite snack. 
I was thinking either I'm supposed to say I'm an alcoholic or this is a cult. <laughs> but nothing that exciting happened. They sang a few songs and then talked about the Bible for a while. At the end of the meeting, everyone paired off to pray for each other, and the pastor asked me what I thought of the group. Then he asked me if I would come back. And I said, I guess, but I wasn't sure. That was seven years ago. Some of those strangers from the house that first night now are some of my, now are some of my closest friends. It didn't happen overnight. It took me a long time to feel comfortable. I usually came after the life group had already started and left as soon as it was over. Very true. But I was seeing the same people every week, and I was telling them about my problems, and they were telling me about theirs. Do that for long enough, and you become friends. You get to know enough people that way, and life group goes from being an obligation to something you look forward to. Making the commitment to come every week is still hard. There are always other things to do. Sometimes you're tired and you had a long day or you just don't feel like it. It gets even harder once you get married and have kids. Nor are the people always, nor are the people always easy to deal with. You may not have a lot in common. You have to search for things to talk about. You can be vulnerable with people and they don't always respond how you would like them. You certainly wouldn't always agree with them on how they see the world. The past two years haven't been easy. Our life group met over Zoom for a while. People asked me whether I have to be more careful with my condition in the, in the pandemic, but it's really the opposite. I don't have the luxury of waiting for life to get back to normal. This might be the only time that I have. I can't imagine not being in life group at this point. Human beings aren't supposed to go through life as faces in the crowd. It's like that song from Cheers. Sometimes you have to go where, some, where everybody knows your name. Life group is a different kind of insurance. People talk a lot about medical insurance and life insurance when you get sick, but relational insurance is far more important. So I wanted to honor him and share that because that is what happens when the church loves one another and when he uh, embraced just committing to, yes, I'm in for Jesus and I'm in for the church. It was not easy, it was hard, but he said he couldn't imagine it any other way. And so I just wanted to set that up as we're about to go into six weeks of loving one another, just letting his memory and his life be an example to us. Like we just read, be imitators of God, therefore as beloved children, also thinking about the example of saints who've gone before us and one of our own. So I want to honor him. And so I want to invite the band to come up as we close. I know we've gone a little bit over time. So uh, for the sake of our kids' ministry, if, you have, uh, if one parent is able to go and uh, check out your kids, check out, sounds like a, uh, a grocery store. If you can go get your child and bring them back in the service for worship, that would be wonderful. But we're going to close with a song of worship. And as we were closing, uh, I just felt like one of the things that God put on my heart to do was to simply share the gospel. Uh, it's the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who would believe. And 1 John says later on, it says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And so if you're here today and you feel like you need life, then I just wanna invite you to pray with me right now. So if I could have everyone just close their eyes and not look to the left or the right, but just 
for those who know who this is for, I just want to invite you to pray a prayer along with me uh, to surrender your life and invite the Son who is life, the Jesus who is life in your heart. So you could say something like this. The words aren't specific, but if it's from your heart, just say, God, I need you. God, I want relationship with you. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I recognize my sin and I believe that you came to die on the cross for my sins and that you rose again on the third day. I want to surrender my life to you. Come and have my life. I want to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you pray to prayer or something like that, an incredible miracle happens that he, you are made new, a new creation. And so we want to have our prayer team available as well. If you're on our prayer team, if you gave your life to Jesus just now, or if you need prayer for anything, as we say each and every Sunday, why not? Why not have someone come up and agree with you in prayer? Our prayer team uh, is ready and wants to partner with you in praying for uh, whether you're sick or whether you have uh, need wisdom for a situation or whether you want to pray for someone else just to partner with you. Let's be a family of God and let's respond to God. So let everyone stand. And I'm going to pray. Let's respond to God as we worship. God, we thank you, God, for your love for us, that you are the source of love. God, you have showed us love and that you help us to see who you are as we love one another. God, would you help us, God, to lift you up as a church as we're going into this practice and to walk forward from here loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen.